If you have your Bibles, you can find your way to 1 Peter chapter 2. First Peter chapter 2 is where we find ourselves today. We're continuing this series called Truth Shape, just understanding who we are as God's people, as He's called us to be, called us to live our lives set apart. When we submit our lives to Christ, we understand who He is, and we understand who we were, and then we see that, and we, we realize, and we acknowledge today, and, and through this, this series, and, and really any time that we open the Word, that it shapes who we are. That it, that it shapes who we are as a people. It shapes who we are as a church. And, and so then that shaping affects everything else that, that we are. Everything else that, that we do is shaped by the truth of the word that reveals who we are and who Christ is. And so today we see that we're, we're kind of continuing this truth-shaped community. We can call it part two. Last week we talked about more of a specific individual aspects as far as what that looks like just individually to live our lives. And today, we're, we're kind of taking a, a larger picture of, of what community looks like, how we live our lives specifically, and, and we'll get specific parts of what that looks like, but then how that affects the whole, whether it's us as a church here, us as Christians worldwide, part of the universal church, and then even a little bit what it looks like to live as a Christian here in our culture as it relates to the rest of the world. Should we go to everyone else or should we just worry about ourselves here in America because there's plenty of problems here that we have to deal with. So what does that look like to be a people of God? So it's, last week was kind of the ground level. This is more of a, the, the bird's eye view, if you will, but we'll, it has to be in relation with what we are and so what, what you have to do with that, and if you're looking at community, if you're looking at living your life, you have to ask yourself, does it really matter how I live? I remember growing up, I was talking to my dad, and, and he always sent back, and he was always talking about what other people, how they, how they talked to, how they related to him and everything. And I remember always getting frustrated and saying, why does it matter what people think? We live in a small town, so everyone knew everything. It's like, I couldn't do anything wrong because... By the time I got home, they already knew. Even in, in middle school, when I was that kid in middle school, I admit I was that weird, hyperactive little kid. And my mom taught in the same building. And so if I got in trouble in one class, they just passed in the hall and said, you need to talk to Kyle. And it's like, that's, it was so unfair, but that's what we, and I was like, why do we care what people think? What does it matter? That, and I remember getting so frustrated with my dad because he always went back to, we need to be a certain way. We need to act a certain way. We need to be a certain person because that's who we've been called to be. And I never understood it. And so what I, what I have understood now is because of the gospel, because of who Christ is in our life, it matters greatly how we live. Because how we live our lives reflects who we say he is. How we interact with people, both locally, nationally, globally, directly reflects what we view of Christ. Who he is to us will reflect to the people around us by how we live our lives even more than how we speak. You need both, but it's, it's critically important how to live. And so when we look at this community and we understand, we see that, that it matters because of who we are in Christ. That's what matters. It matters who we, who we are in Christ, and then that then reflects itself for who we are. So if you will, we're in 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to read verses 9 through 17 today. So if you will, follow along. 
In, in 1 Peter 2, verse 9, it says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject to the, for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or the governors as sent by him, to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. But live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. If you will pray with me, and we'll ask the Spirit to guide us through this text today. Father God, we see when we open your truth, how you've commanded us to live, how you've commanded us to, to relate to other people, God. And I just pray that today that that would be evident, that, that how we live our lives would be shown to us through your truth, that, that we would be shaped by it so that when we live our lives this week and continuing into the future, that we'd realize that you have called us, that you own us, that we are your possession and we should live as such. I just pray that today that you would allow us to see that, that we would step out of your way and allow your spirit to move in our hearts, to pierce our hearts with the word of your truth. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So what we see in this passage, and, and it might be a passage that you're used to. This, it gets a lot, of, a lot of play, if you will. A lot of times, not this, the last half doesn't get it. We'll, we'll talk about submission here in a little bit because we don't like to talk about that. So we'll, we'll kind of wrap it all up with that. But we get this idea of who we are in Christ. That's what Peter's saying. He's talking to the, the, the Jews here. He's, he's comparing them to the, to the Gentiles, and he's showing them, here's who you should be. Here's, here's who you should be and why you should be this way. And what we see, the first thing, that if we're going to be a truth-shaped community, if we're going to live our lives as we've been called to, that we're going to be people that proclaim. We're going to be people that proclaim the excellencies of him who called us. That's what we first see. In the first part of verse 9, a people for his own possession that you may what? Proclaim the excellencies of him who's called you. It's the excellencies of him who have called you. But what we need to understand is if we're going to be people of proclamation, if we're going to proclaim the excellencies of him who's called us, we need to understand it's because we're different than everyone else. We're different than everyone else. Not that all of a sudden our life has no problems and everything is great, but we're different because of where we're going. We're different because we've been called by God and we've been chosen by God. That's what we see in, that, in verse 9. It says, you're a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, people for his own possession. See, we're chosen by God. We're a chosen race. We can take that now, and, and Peter does this later on. We'll talk more about it, but he's connecting the Old Testament to the New Testament here. That so you're a chosen race, that he's now chosen all people. It's not just the Jews. It's not just Israel like the Old Testament. Now we're, all of us are chosen. You're a chosen race. And then he's what? So we can proclaim the excellence of him who what? Who called you out of darkness into light. 
So we've been chosen by God, we've been called by God, and when we see that and we understand that because of that, that, that call of God on our lives, we then proclaim the excellencies. Why? Because we realize that he called us before we changed. See, if, he, if, he, if we changed our life and then he called us, then all the glory, everything points to us because we're the ones that changed. But if we are called and God has chosen us as a holy nation, as his people, then everything points to him. That's what Peter's reminding us here. And that's what you see. There's a distinct difference then because we're different from verse 8 to verse 9. If you look at verse 8, he's talking about the people that weren't chosen by God. He says, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Why? They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. So there's people that God has chosen. We're different. We're called for his purpose. Again, last week, one of the main things that we hit on is that we're not our own, that we've been bought with a price. And here again, in, in, here again in 1 Peter chapter 2, if we flip back just a little bit from last week, we see that what? We're chosen as a people for his own possession. We're not our own again. And this theme runs throughout a gospel worldview and understanding that God sent his son for us. He paid the price for our life. And so it matters how we live because we're different. Because he's called us out of the darkness of our sin and death into his marvelous light. Again, it points it back to him. It's his light. It's not our light. We don't point to ourselves. We point to him who's called us out of that. It's not our own doing. No one here can, can boast on that and think about that. Because if we're honest about it, we were, we're still just as screwed up afterwards. We have to keep telling ourselves the gospel. Reminding ourselves of the gospel. Going back that day and day again. So really, the only thing we can do is point to him praise God proclaim the excellencies of him who's called us out of darkness into light we see that it's because we're different but he also gives us how we're different that's what those those adjectives there at the first of of verse nine are important that that we're a chosen race We're, we're sons and daughters of the living God we're a chosen race we need to understand that it's it's almost where we think right now it's it's hard to understand that all humans we're the same race there's one race, there's human, there's different ethnicities. We're a chosen race. He's chosen all people to come into his family. We're sons and daughters when we submit our lives to Christ through the gospel. The Holy Spirit applies that into our hearts. We see that we're a royal priesthood. Not only are we chosen to be brought to God, but we're a royal priesthood. So we're to steward the church of our Lord. That's what the priests did in the Old Testament. They, they were the ones that did all the ordinance and sacraments. They kept the church. They stewarded the church. And now that responsibility has come to us as well. See, that we're a holy nation. Again, that's like we're a chosen race. We're not just chosen to be just anything, but we're a holy people because he is holy. And if we're in him, then we're holy. And again, we're people of his possession. We're not our own. And if we're honest, that's hard to understand. It's hard to grasp, especially here in the United States where we can do whatever we want. Our freedom is amazing, and we've been blessed by that, but we're not our own people. We've been bought with the precious blood of the Son. And so we need to understand that. All those are great descriptions, and it shows us how we're different because how we're different leads to how we proclaim the gospel, how we proclaim the excellencies because we were chosen. And if we look at the, the, the entire story of Scripture... Proclaiming the excellencies of him was Israel's job. That was their task. He had set them apart, and they were to proclaim the excellencies. They failed, 
at that task. And so now what Peter's saying here when he's showing us all this and he's showing us who we are now in Christ, he's saying that this is now a continuation where it was once Israel's task, now it's ours. That we are to proclaim the excellencies of him. We're a continuation of the task that God had given Israel that they failed to do because they rebelled. And if we're not careful, we, like Israel, are going to fail on that task too because we forget that it's about him. They had the same descriptions if you ever look and you go back and you look at the Old Testament, we don't have enough time to get to every one of them. If you go back and look at the descriptions how God calls the people of Israel, it's exactly how Peter calls us. There's at least six times where he just says they're a holy nation. And one of the, one of the, the important ones for us today, I just wanted to read one. You don't have to turn there. It's Deuteronomy 7, 6. It says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. See, nothing's changed. God chose Israel for his possession, for people out of his treasured possession, out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. So he didn't choose everyone to be his treasured possession. He chose Israel. And in verse 7 it says, It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all people. But it's because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. The faithful God keeps covenant, steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Isn't that a beautiful picture of who God has called his people to be? And when we look back here into First Peter, he's saying you're the exact same thing. You were chosen by God, not because you were the biggest number, not because you were the coolest, the, most, the best accomplished, but because he loved you. And so when we understand that, when we truly see who we are, then we see that we have to proclaim those excellencies because we didn't deserve them, yet we get it. Don't you do that? Don't you... That's where, to me, that's like all the pay it forward that used to happen. Everyone would pay for the person behind you, and they're, hey, I got this... Someone paid for my dinner. It's an amazing thing, right? You proclaim what you got freely. Yet we don't always do that with the gospel. Right? We don't always proclaim His excellencies. Why? Because it, it gets to this point to where once we start proclaiming this, there's no going back. That's the biggest thing that's happening in our society right now, and it's actually a good thing. It's because if we proclaim the excellencies, then we're completely cast out now. There's no difference anymore. Cultural Christianity doesn't exist in the U.S., or it's at least fading out. So are we going to be a people that remember who we are, that God has chosen us, that he's clothed us with his son's righteousness, and then the only thing left to do is proclaim his excellencies, knowing that we have something better. We need to be a people that proclaim the excellencies. We also see that in that, we need to be a people that abstain from certain things in our lives. Look at verse 11. But I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war, wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they, will see, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. 
So we see that we're not only a people that proclaim, we're people that abstain from certain things. And, and this is where it gets a little, a little detailed, so, so bear with me. But what we see in that is there's, a, a, there's, in verse 11 and 12, there's a how you live, and then there's a how you relate to other people. There, there's two sides to this. You say it's the same side, how you, how you live your life. You have to abstain in two ways, how you live and what your actions are, and then how you relate to other people. So first, how you live as people. That's verse 11. Substain from the passions of the flesh. What we see in that, when we add that which weighed war on your soul, we see that then it breaks down a little more. Now there's two parts to that. Now there's this physical action. We should abstain from the physical pleasures of the flesh, what we, the actions of sin, and we see that, that, that that's a choice, that we have this choice to do certain things. We can abstain from physical actions, lead us in. I talked about last week or the week before that no one that I know has just murdered anyone. Why? Because you can choose not to. Just talking about that. These physical actions, you can choose not to. Gossip, physically speaking, you can abstain from that. You don't have to do that. In fact, Peter's saying that if you're going to be his people, you're going to abstain from that. But there's also this mental aspect, and that's the one I think that we always forget. We always forget this idea that, that not only is there the physical actions that we have sustained to, but there's the mental, the spiritual aspects of that too. And this is the harder thing because it's your thoughts. Right? If we're going to abstain physically, don't we have to abstain mentally or it's the same thing? Isn't that what Jesus said? That if you look at a woman with lust, then you've committed adultery already? That's what Peter's talking about. There's two things. That's why we can say they wage war on your soul. Because it's not just this physical aspect, there's the spiritual, there's this mental aspect to it. That these actions are the, the bedrock, if you will, of the physical actions. What we think about usually turns into our actions. What comes in, what we think about and take in usually becomes what we go out. So we need to understand that. That's why Paul in 1 Corinthians 10 says that we need to take every thought captive. Every thought captive. We have to learn these things. We have to see these things that, that we, I was taught, my dad taught me this idea. He, he was reading a book. He was a, he's a very, he's a reader, like crazy. I, I read, and Lindsay thinks I'm weird reading sometimes, but he re, just, he always traveled and he stayed in hotels instead of watching TV, he read. So he's reading a book one time and he, he was, he was telling me about this idea and then I read the book, this, this idea that, that men should learn how to bounce their eyes. That we see these things in the world and we're drawn to that and we should realize that we need to train our eyes that if we look and, and you see something you should turn your eyes away you should bounce your eyes back and forth and it's an amazing reality especially since Lindsay and I were in Miami last week it was crazy and they talked about it all the, 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 the people they were talking about that there's things you can't unsee and it's like you want to experience it but then it's like do you really? But that's this idea that we need to, to not only worry about the physical aspects but how much more should we worry about the mental aspects the spiritual aspects because, see, that's the thing that no one can tell you. No one can keep you accountable for things you don't tell them you're thinking. We can watch people and say, hey, why are you actually doing that? But no one knows your thoughts but you and God. So we need to understand that we need to abstain. If we're going to be a people that proclaim the excellencies the whole time, we're going to proclaim then through abstaining on these things. That just because it's permissible doesn't mean that we should. But then we also see on the other side, if, if, if we have how we live our lives over here, then that directly is going to affect how we relate to other people. 
Our relationships then come into to act. And that's what we see in verse 12. It says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. That, that honorable is, is a word that's kalos. And what we see in that is that it's beautiful, it's good, it's desirable. It's actually, it, it takes an object that's intrinsically good. And so if our, if our behavior is supposed to be good, beautiful, intrinsically good, there's nothing bad about it. And it's not always beautiful in the sense of something looks beautiful. It's just how you're supposed to, it's honorable, how you're supposed to live your life. So that when, so why? That when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. So what we see there is if we abstain in our lives and how we choose to live our life, how we control our thoughts, both sides, physical, mental, then that's going to affect how we live our lives. And then that then will change how we relate. So if we're going to abstain through how we relate people, we don't do what they do. And that's hard to do, isn't it? Because sometimes people around you that aren't Christian are having a lot more fun than you are, right? I mean, if we're honest, they do. It is. And you're drawn to that. I remember when I first was, was, was saved and I was understanding that I was always drawn, like I was like, oh, I could be around those people. And then I still just went back doing the same thing they were, right? Because I need to abstain from my, my conduct wasn't honorable in that. I needed to live set apart differently. Why? Because I'm chosen by God. And that's what he's saying here is that I urge you as sojourners and exiles, we're not, we're guests here in this world. We're guests here. We should abstain from that knowing that we're made for something more. That's why we sing the song at times that greater things are yet to come. Because that's what we are. And what we need to understand is that how we live our lives, how we live our lives or conduct our relationships is either going to hinder people from glorifying God or it's going to lead them to glorifying God. We're either going to hinder them because they don't understand what's the difference. Why do you do all that stuff when it never lasts? There's no change. So why would I even attempt it? But at the same time, if you are able to to not live like them, able to abstain from those passions, and then your relationships change, then all of a sudden it's like, oh. Because God is going to get the glory. And that's what he says here, that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Day of visitation. That's that, the day when God calls them into his family. That we hear the, the gospel and they respond to that. They're going to glorify God partly because of what they've seen as your witness to them from abstaining to the things of the world. It's going to change your life, and that is then how you proclaim the excellencies, just how you live your life. Because we're His people. We need to abstain because we're strangers and exiles. And we need to realize that, that following Jesus costs something. Some people it costs a lot more than others, but it still costs everyone something. So what if you given up for Jesus to follow him how have you been given how have you given something up what does it cost you personally to follow him because if it hasn't cost you anything then you really haven't followed him yet you haven't so you need to think about that that if we're going to be a truth shaped community we're going to be people that abstain from the passions of this not just because culture says it's okay but if God commands that we shouldn't do it we shouldn't do it and that leads us then to the, 
the favorite part of today's text, that we should be a people that submit. Right? It should be a people that honor. And this is the part that we don't like. If, if I'm honest, it's the part that it's hard. It's like, wait a second. How do we do that? So read with me again, just so it's fresh in our minds. Verse 13, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor supreme or the governors who sent by him to punish those who are evil and to praise those who do good. There's the two sides of what government should do. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. We'll stop right there because then it kind of switches. But see, we should be a people that submit. We should be a people that submit, but we should be a people that honor through that submission. We should honor those in authority over us. Honor is respect, give recognition, Then it usually happens through action. So it's not just a verbal thing, it's a physical thing, it's actions. It's respecting those who are put in authority. And this is hard right now in the area we live, in the country we live. Because there's no way that God's in control right now, is there? Look at what the government's doing. There's no way. But that's not what Peter says here. We, we, don't, we shouldn't just rebel. And what's interesting, if you look at this passage and you put it back into the context of who Peter's talking to, is that's the problem the Jews were having. Is there was uprising after uprising after uprising. They were completely against the Roman rule. Yes, the Romans were there overtaking them. But it was constantly this uprising, uprising. And so what Peter's saying here is you need to be submissive to that. You need to honor that because then the gospel will show forth. If you don't, then the gospel just looks like another way for the Israelites to rebel, for the Jews to rebel against the Romans. There's no difference. That's who you've always been. So what was the difference? It's because this time the gospel says that we have something better. We've been called to something better. And so we can submit to those who've been placed in authority, knowing that they are under his hand. And so when we see our government, we should honor them. That's not the popular thing to say is how they're, they've already, what have they done? They've destroyed marriage. Right? They haven't. It just means we have to redefine it all the more through what we do. At the same time, respecting those that have put, been put in position over us. We need to remember, just like the words of Romans 13.1, it says, Paul says that there's no authority, there's no power except from God. And so if we understand that, what Paul's saying is that the people that have been put over us, this isn't just national, this is local. Submit to anyone authority. That means that God has placed them in that authority. God has ordained that time to happen. And so if we're going to be worried about what's happening, if we're not going to honor those who are above us, then we're accusing God of not being able to, to handle what he's done. Right? Isn't that what we see? If we're not going to submit to the human people, and we go back to what Paul's saying in Romans 13, that there's no power except from God, is to, to say that we need to rebel, we should honor the government and say that God doesn't know what he's doing and we know better. That's what it is. It doesn't mean that it's easy. It doesn't mean that people don't abuse that power. But what we need to do as Christians is realize that we serve someone greater than that. We're not made for the, the... The United States of America is not our Savior. As amazing as our freedom is that we celebrate, it's not our Savior. Christ is. And we celebrate Him by honoring who He's placed. We're blessed to live here. We're blessed to live here. We were just in Miami last week for the Acts 29 retreat, and they had a section 
that, that they were talking about different regions. And we have a, a network, part of the region, it's broken up into networks. And they have a network called the Emerging Regions. And they, they plas- it's basically the 1040 window in, in northern Africa, the parts that are out of that. And in that, right now, there's 31 church plants through Acts 29 that are in that area. Okay, one of those is a, is a, is a Pakistani guy. He's buried 20 members of his church this year. He's preaching the same gospel that we are. He went through the same assessments that I did to get into the network. It's, it's everywhere. He's called to submit to those who are in authority just as we are. How much harder is it for him? They're literally killing his people. So we understand that when we see who we are in Christ, we should be a people that submit and honor those who have been placed above us because we serve one that's greater. That's not an easy thing today to do. But what we need to understand that is that submission, that honoring, doesn't take us to where we live outside of what God's called us to. That we need to obey. We need to obey the authorities until they call us to do something that God's commanded us not to. Then we set ourselves apart. When, when we're told, which is the thing with marriage, that's why we don't acknowledge that because God's commanded it differently. But we still respect, we still pray for those in authority. But we don't honor anything outside of what God's called us to do. That's the ultimate thing. If they command us to do what God forbids, we can't submit to that because we serve one greater. And then if they keep us from doing what God commands, we should continue doing it. And that's how we're going to be a truth-shaped community is we realize that there are authorities. They are under his control. They're not under our control. They're under his. He's the supreme authority. We serve him alone. And so we respectfully honor those who he's placed in authority until they tell us to live differently. And that's when we set ourselves apart physically. And we still pray for them. And when we hold that, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a hard line to hold. It's a hard line to hold because as soon as you start acting different than the rest of the culture, then you're cast out. You're on the wrong side of history. We're on the wrong side of history. We're on the side of history that matters. And that's his. So if we're going to live that way, even here, we need to honor those in authority locally. We need to respect those. We need to pray for those. All the while acknowledging that that's why. Because God has placed them there. There's no power except from Him. And when we understand that, we realize that we're free to live our lives. That's the last part that we want to talk about and then we'll be finished. Look at verse 16 and 17. It says, Live our lives as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. So that we see if we realize that we're free in what we do, we're going to serve God. If we're living our lives as free people, then that's going to be that we're going to serve God because we're going to see who He is. We're going to see who we are as relation to that. And then we're going to follow Him. We're going to serve Him. We're going to live as people who are free, not using our freedom to cover up for evil. So our freedom can't lead us into sin. Otherwise, it's not freedom. That's why we, for, for freedom, Christ set us free. Don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. Don't fall back into that. And then what do we do? We honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. We honor those who place it above us. We love those members of the family like us. And we fear 
God with a reverent fear because who he is. And when we do that, our lives will speak volumes before we even say a word. But then we say something, too. We don't get caught in this abstaining. It's not an, an, it's not an abstain from talking. We should proclaim the gospel. We should share the gospel. Because there's people around the world that are literally dying for the same thing that we're sitting here for right now. And so we should support that. We should go with them. We should pray for them. Because that's what a truth-shaped community does. It realizes that who we are because of Christ. And when we do that, it doesn't matter what happens in the world because we realize that we're in the hands of the King of kings and Lord of lords. And there's no more secure place than that. Let's pray.